Let's turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. The background to this is, again, what we saw last week, that Nicodemus, one of the teachers, one of the rulers of Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin, had come to Jesus while he was in Jerusalem and had asked him by night, uh, and Jesus explained to him of the that, that one must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, and then also that one must believe on the Son of Man, speaking of himself, uh, to have life. And he referred to what we just read in Numbers. So I'll actually begin by backing up to verse 14 and read from verse 14 to 21 to give us a little context. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his world, sorry, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true and comes to the light... Sorry, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for his blessing upon the word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing to us your salvation in your only begotten Son. We pray that you would bring these words to our hearts, uh, to an understanding and memory of these words, of this truth, that we might have our faith strengthened and to be built up unto eternal life. Uh, We pray that you would uh, help us to give this our attention. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 14 through 15, the, the context, Jesus had said that even as Moses had lifted the bronze serpent in the wilderness so that whoever looked at the bronze serpent would not die from the fiery serpents, but rather would live. So, to live eternally, uh, to, to have that life in the, the age to come, a life that never ends, one must believe in the Son of Man who would be lifted up for us lifted up on a cross, and then lifted up to heaven. Uh, That the Son of Man who came to die for us would be the one to procure this life for us. Remember why the serpents came upon the people? The serpents came upon the people because they had sinned. They had grumbled. They were impatient. And they had despised God's goodness. This worthless food that God had given us, that was his mercy to them. And so death had come upon them. 
fiery serpents had bit them. But when they realized their sin, they confessed their sin. They said, yes, we have done what is wrong. Pray for us. And so God gave them a way of salvation, something that they could do to not die. Well, in a much greater sense, uh, God has delivered sinners from eternal death through Jesus Christ. These verses explain why the Son of God was sent into the world. He's described as the the only Son or the only begotten Son. Uh, The ESV translates it as the only Son or His only Son. Uh, But as I mentioned in my earlier sermon on chapter 1, I think the traditional rendering is is right, uh, only begotten Son of God, that's He was begotten of His Father before all ages. He is not a Son of God like we are children of God by His grace, but rather one who uh, by nature uh, is uh, eternally with God, begotten of God, His Son, just as the Father is the Father from all ages past, God Himself. But He came into the world. What is coming into the world? He was already in the world in the sense that God is everywhere, but he came into the world as a man, uh, born of woman. And he was uh, come into the world as flesh and blood, partaking of our mortal condition. And why did he come into the world? He came that the world might be saved through him. These verses explain why the Son of God was sent into the world. They also explain how sinners may be saved. They explain how sinners may be saved and gain eternal life and not be under condemnation, uh, but rather uh, to have life. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, these verses uh, summarize the covenant of grace. When man was in the garden, he had a covenant of works by which he would have life, eternal life, through obedience to the law. But in this covenant, this covenant of grace, life is offered to man through a mediator, through Jesus Christ. And the condition is not perfect and perpetual obedience, but rather it is uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the condition to give them a share in this gift that God has given us. Now, the Geneva Bible is a an old translation from the Reformation that had uh, notes that would comment upon the Bible, usually summarizing uh, Calvin's commentary. And this is what it had to say on John 3.16, which I think will summarize the passage well and kind of give our structure to this sermon. It says, Nothing else but the free love of the Father is the beginning of our salvation, And Christ is he in whom our righteousness and salvation dwells. And faith is the instrument or means by which we apprehend it. And everlasting life is that which is set before us to apprehend. So let me break that down a little bit. Four things in this text. The love of God. The mission of the Son. The way salvation is received. And the salvation that is received. What is it? Eternal life. A gift given in the Son. So first let's look at the love of God. That God had love for the world. Nothing else but the free love of the Father is the beginning of our salvation. 
God set his love on his creation, even though it had rebelled against him. And the world did not deserve such a gift. Uh, The world had been created by God, but the world had rebelled against God. Fallen man had risen up in rebellion and had served, uh, followed the ways of the evil one. But God yet loved his creation. The world uh, was there and he loved sinners even though they were the object of his wrath. Uh, For sin had invited God's judgment, his curse, and his wrath, and yet he loved the world. That is an amazing thing. He loved sinners. And because he loved them, he provided a way of salvation for them. Catherine, can you move back with with, uh, Margaret? Thank you. So God loved the world. Now the Father loved the world. uh, For it is he who sent his only begotten Son to demonstrate this love, to manifest this love, to as a work of this love for sinners. And so he loved the world so that he would provide for a way for his wrath to be removed from them. He loved the world in this way. That's the idea of for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. Uh, He did this by sending his only begotten son to save them. We read this also in 1 John 3, that God loved us before we loved him, that he loved us by sending his only begotten son to be a propitiation for our sins. While we were considered in our sins, um, the only reason we would be anything else is because of what he did of his love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, and that's how God showed his love. It is not that the Father hated us and the Son loved us and the Son then convinced his Father to love us too. No. Uh, God loved us, the triune God, and and the Father loved us, and he sent his Son uh, out of this love that we would be saved. He gave his only begotten Son this mission. He appointed him. He called him to this office, and he sent him into the world. And the Son Uh, freely took up this office. He loved us as well. He was of one will with the Father. And uh, he came to do his Father's will uh, to fulfill this mission. So learn from this. The cause of your salvation is not in good things that you have done, not good things that are in you, but are rather rooted in his love that he set upon us. Have confidence in the love of the Father. He loved you before you loved him. His love is prior to anything good in you. He, if he so loved you when you were a sinner, will he not bring this work to completion? Will he not continue to love you? Your uh, goodness wasn't the basis of his love to begin with, and it won't be the basis of it now. He loved the world by sending his only begotten son, whom he loved, to be the sacrificial lamb provided by God to take away the sin of the world. Abraham was willing to give his only son to demonstrate his his faith uh, in God, but God gave his only son to demonstrate his love for the world, uh, to be that very lamb that he would provide 
for his people. And so as Paul says in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God saved us from the domain of sin that spoiled everything that we did, how much more will he save us from the wrath to come? How much more will he bring this work to completion and continue to love us to the end? The love of God is the beginning of our salvation. Second thing we find is the mission of the Son, which is to save the world. Or as the Geneva Bible put it, Christ is he in whom our righteousness and salvation dwells. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son of God. He came into the world uh, to save, to save sinners, to save the world, not to condemn it. That's what verse 17 goes on to say. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Condemnation, we might say, is a byproduct. He he holds forth this great gift of salvation and love. They were already condemned before he did this, and they're all the more condemned if they neglect it. But his mission in coming to the earth was salvation, to to purchase redemption, uh, to, to save the world. That was his reason for coming. And he came to save the world, not just to save the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Uh, that's held forth now to all nations, this gift that Christ had accomplished in accord with his promises of old, to bless all the nations, uh, to, to fulfill the promises made to Abraham. He came to reclaim and reconcile the creation with its creator, uh, to restore all things, uh, to bring back into harmony that which had uh, fallen into discord and enmity and strife, And he did not come in vain. When he was lifted up, he would begin to draw the world to himself. The world, even though not every individual in it, but the world would be saved by him. And it is through Jesus that those who are in the world may have life. Sinners may have life through him. As as John wrote, In 1 John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That is where God has deposited it. That is where God has placed it for us. He has put it in his Son, and it has to be received from his Son. Uh, That is where eternal life is uh, received. The Son is the source of life, the source of righteousness. He is the life, uh, the way, uh, the truth. And Jesus became life for us by his work that he did, by his incarnation, uh, taking to himself our nature, by his righteous life that he lived in accordance with God's law, uh, by his death, bearing our sins, taking it away, receiving our judgment, destroying that sin in his tomb, destroying it in his death, and then to rise again, that we might share that righteousness that was declared to be his, that there was no sins held against him. He was vindicated. He rose to life. So, too, we might receive our justification and live. He has now 
a treasure of spotless righteousness and blessing. He has this great wealth of spiritual benefits that he has acquired for sinners. This life is in him, and it is in him to share. He has acquired it. He has purchased it to give it freely now to sinners. And so our salvation is in Christ. And he, his mission was to save the lost. But the third thing that we find in this text is the way the salvation is received. The salvation that is in Christ does you no good if you're a stranger to Christ. If Jesus remains uh, disconnected from you, out there, uh, having nothing yet to do with you, it does you no good. A drink doesn't do you any good just sitting on the table. If you do not drink it, uh, the, the wealth and treasure does you no good if, if you have no connection to its owner. Uh, rather, Jesus gives a share in what he has acquired to those who believe in him, to those who receive this gift and receive and rest upon him. As the Geneva Bible put it, Faith is the instrument or means by which we apprehend it, you know, by which we lay claim to it, by which we receive it. This salvation is held forth to all people. All people are told that life is in Christ, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the condition. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. The whole world ought to be told this, this message of salvation proclaimed in his name. But even though it's, it's proclaimed to all people and ought to be held forth to all, it does not benefit all people. As this text indicates, some do not come to the light. Some remain under judgment. Some remain under condemnation. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Some people love the darkness rather than the light and did not forsake their wicked works but did not want them exposed and do not come to the Son and be saved. It only benefits those who believe in Christ. Uh, As we were mentioning earlier, the word for believe is the same as faith. Uh, in Greek, to have faith in Christ, to believe in him, is the way one receives the salvation that is in him. The, ga- the gift does not need to be earned, but it must be apprehended, received, laid hold of. And so it is only the one who believes in the Son that will be saved. This is what you ought to do to be saved. Uh, what, what must one do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Faith is the instrument by which his righteousness is received. By faith we are united to Christ. It's by faith that the church uh, is united to Christ as a bride to her husband and begins to share in all his wealth, all the redemption that he has purchased for her. It is not the virtue of faith that saves. It's not that faith is so impressive and such a good work that God is so delighted with it that it's good enough and he gives you all that he has uh, worked for you 
but rather it is what faith receives that saves. Faith gives us a share in Christ, uh, a portion in that treasure, a part in his righteousness and his inheritance. Faith places under us under his headship. It's similar to looking at that bronze serpent. Did they have to earn the salvation from the serpents? Did they have to, uh, to work hard and to do various things? What did they have to do? They had to look at the bronze serpent, and they would be safe. That is what faith is like. It's a trust in Christ crucified, a uh, looking for help from him, a receiving and resting upon him. And the one who looks to him with faith partakes of the benefit, just as the one who looked at the bronze serpent received the benefit God gave by it. And so the way salvation is received is by, Catherine, do you know what it's by? By faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. And that last part's important. Not just by any faith. We were watching uh, Prince of Egypt earlier, right? And it's talking about uh, when we were at home. And it's like, miracles can happen when you believe. But believe in what? The believing in what is pretty important. It's not just a general optimism that good things will work out, but rather a faith in Jesus Christ, because the salvation is in him. And that was the second point, that, that our salvation is in Jesus Christ, that God's love has provided us a Savior in Christ. That's by faith in him that we are saved. And what does it mean to be saved? That's the last part here. What is this gift that is given in the Son? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Everlasting life is that which is set before us to, ap- to apprehend. This is the gift that is given, which you may lay your hands upon. It is everlasting life, the life uh, that never ends, the life of the age to come, the life in glory. And just as the life is eternal, so the perishing that is referring, referred to is, is that, uh, that spiritual death and that second death, that judgment uh, which is threatened upon those who sin. For Jesus will later talk about the fact that, yes, uh, we will die a physical death, and yet those who have believed in his name, even then will live with him, and on the last day be called forth from their tombs to a resurrection unto everlasting life. They will be saved from the second death, which is the lake of fire. Those who believe in the Son shall not perish, but rather have eternal life. And why do they have eternal life and not eternal death? Because they are not condemned. Condemnation leads to death. Why would a person be executed? Because a judge would have condemned him, right? Why does a person execute? Well, people don't get executed as often today, but if a person was to be executed, or uh, it's because someone would have condemned him. Uh, the condemnation leads unto death. But a sentence of innocent and righteous, that leads to life. Uh, a reprieve from that death which awaits us. A life which is even glorious, that of a great gift that God gives us in his kingdom. And that's what he goes on to talk about, not just that we should not perish but have eternal life, but then he goes to get back to the, 
the grounds of this not perishing but having eternal life that we are not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned by God. The one who does not believe is already condemned. That's our condition already. But the one who believes in Christ has that condemnation removed and is declared righteous, is justified unto life. And that is the gift that is given in Jesus Christ. Of course, we could probably go to much more depth about all the riches and blessings and benefits that we have in Jesus, but those are the the ones that are mentioned in this text. The forgiveness of sins, the imputation of righteousness, the favor and, and love of God, and life with him forever. And so let us lay hold and take hold and maintain our hold upon this great gift. Let us look to the Son and live. Let us believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in the love of the Father. He is one who has demonstrated his love by sending his Son for this purpose. Believe in the Son that he has sent, uh, that you might have this life. And give thanks for the justification and eternal life that God so freely gives. Uh, This is our hope uh, and our great expectation, both now and in time to come. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the gift that you have so freely given in your only begotten Son, that through his pains and suffering, through his trial and humiliation, through his resurrection unto glory, that we too might rise to life and justification, no longer condemned and doomed, but rather those who have the hope of life that never ends, that even in death we have the hope of life, that we might live with you, and in the age to come, our resurrection in Christ, and our glorification that we might be like he is. We pray that you would strengthen us in this hope, that you would grant this faith to all that are here, and even to the world, that you would continue this work, that this mission may not be in vain, but that you would save this world, and that in time you would restore and glorify and Unite heaven and earth to make all things new through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.